right, today we're going to conclude a series uh, out of the book of Jonah, and the title of our series is Jonah, of course, Get Up and Go. And uh, we have been in this idea about God raising up a Jonah generation in these days in which we live. God uh, is passionate about his mission to reach the world, to bring the world to, to him, but he, he's, he needs his Jonahs to be flexible and movable. And not to run away, but to run after what God wants them to, uh, what He wants them to do. And so uh, we've been in talking about that today. We're going to conclude this idea out of the book of Jonah. Now I mentioned earlier when we were taking communion that last Sunday and Monday was a celebration of the Day of Atonement. Interesting fact that I did not know until I was reading this last week was uh, the custom of uh, the celebration of. Of, of the Day of Atonement is that when the people of God gather or the, it, the Jews gather together, they will oftentimes or all the time do a reading, a whole reading through the book of Jonah. And then after they read the book of Jonah, the whole congregation says in unison, we are Jonah. And I thought that that was really interesting because in the book of Jonah, God obviously represents himself. And the whale, which only gets three verses, it's not, the story isn't about a whale, it's about God and Jonah and what God wants to do. But the whale uh, illustrates God's saving grace and how God can come in and rescue us even in our rebellion and our reluctance. And uh, we also see that the city of Nineveh represents a world far from God, but God loves this world God is passionately pursuing this world, and so that makes us Jonah. We are those people that God has called to work for him and with him to bring the saving grace, the, the salvation message to this world. Amen? And so as the story of Jonah unfolds, we see ourselves in all of this. We see how God calls us, but sometimes we run away from God's call we neglect God's call, we put God's call off, and then we find ourselves in a pit, and then in our pits we cry out to God, and God is merciful, and he, and he rescues us, and you know, God, then he gives us a second chance, and then God will just, uh, we, we, be, we begin to obey the Lord, and we see great success, even, even if we had run away from God, and God moves mightily upon us, and it's an amazing thing. And if I were writing the book of Jonah, I would have stopped right there. Chapter 3 was the high note. That was the high point of the whole book. It was like, it's, it's like a beautiful written sitcom because it is a comedy in a lot of ways. God calls him, he runs, he prays, God delivers him, he preaches, and there's a great revival. And if I was writing the book, end of story. But God's not done. You know why? Because he's got things to do with Jonah. God's not done with you. Turn to somebody and tell them, you look like Jonah to me. Go ahead and tell them that. So what? So here's the deal. Jonah, Jonah saw a measure of great success, but there was something off in his heart. He had a heart issue that God needed to work on. And so today I want to entitle this message, A Godly Heart for a Wicked World. God wants us to get his heart for this world. And so we're going to pick up in chapter 3, beginning at verse 10. 
And we're going to read all of chapter 4, so just follow along as I read this aloud to you. Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. This is the city of Nineveh after Jonah preached. And God relented from the disaster that he had said that he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Chapter 4, verse 1. But this displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, this is why I went to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat east of the city, uh, sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might shade him, uh, shade, be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned, the next day, God prepared a worm. And so it damaged the plant, and it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind. And the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. And he wished death for himself. And he said, it is better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, it is right for me to be angry even to death. He's in other words, you bet it's right for me to be angry. I'll die being angry, basically what he said. But the Lord said to him, You have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. Should I not have pity on Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and much livestock? And that's the end of the book. That's how it ends. Help us, Lord, to understand the word today. Amen? God, we ask, ask that you would um, implant your word into our heart and teach us what you want us to know here today. In Jesus' name, and everybody says, amen. All right, now pray for me because I got lots of information to get through in short time. You going to pray for me? Get going. Get going, Tim. Last week, uh, Gary Swant, who uh, attends church here, leads our coffee ministry. He was showing me something in a truck. I bought a truck off of him, and he was showing me something in the truck that I didn't know. Took me out to the truck. He sat down. He started up the car, and he noticed. He said, there's a light. He said, oh, your, your, uh, your fuel tank light is on. Did you know you're all, you know, you're out of, you need gas? And I looked in there, I was like, oh, no, I didn't know that. You know, because my dashboards are always all lit up. And so I, you know, they're very colorful dashboard lights. Is my, they always have these warning lights on there and everything. And I was like, oh, no, I didn't recognize that. And he just kind of looked at me and shook his head like, what is wrong with you? And, and in all fairness to me, my other truck that I had uh, used to ding at me when my gas would get pretty low. 
And that was a reminder, but I always, always rode that ding out for a while just to see how far I could go anyway. But anyway, I, I wasn't paying attention to the light on my dashboard, and he just shook his head in disgust at my lack of attention to the details, you know. And I, I, didn't, I didn't recognize that I was low. And I was thinking about that because let's imagine that our heart had a gauge that could read the level of our love. Let's just think about that for a moment. If this were the case, where would the needle stand on your love gauge right now, today? Is it full? Is it half full? Is it less than a quarter tank full? Are you running on empty? You know, where are you at? Has, have you heard the ding and ignored it? Or have you looked at the light and just thought, I'm just going to see how far. In fact, he pushed a button and said, you got 13 miles until you run out of gas. It was likely that I would have done that. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, because of wickedness in the last days, because of wickedness, the love of many will grow cold. Jesus said, because the days will get more and more wicked in the final days, In the earth, the love of many will grow cold. Jesus also said to us that we are to live in the world and not be of the world. And so as Christians living in the world and trying desperately not to be of the world, sometimes we unintentionally develop attitudes of coldness and callousness in our hearts and and a judgmentalness in our hearts that... We become indifferent to the world around us. And we're not supposed to be of the world, but we're not supposed to hate the people or despise the people or reject the people that are in the world. We're just not supposed to be of the world. Not supposed to drive us. It's not supposed to be the principal factor of our life. We're neither supposed to be built up by it nor discouraged by it because the world is a system, but God has a people in the earth that he loves. And sometimes we are trying so desperately to protect ourselves from getting wrapped up and sucked into this kind of wickedness that abounds all around us that we sometimes confuse the spirit of the world and the people of the world. Amen. We've got to remember that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. The world is a broken place full of broken people whom God loves. And the reason why we exist here is to be an extension of God's love. To help people who are far from God to come to know God. That's our role. The book of Jonah is a story of God's relentless love for all of humanity. Not just for the rebellious world but also for reluctant prophets like you and me. God is constantly pursuing us, and he wants us to understand his love so that we can share that love with others. But Jonah's love tank was on empty. He was, listen, he was a prophet of God. He heard from God. He prayed to God. He preached for God, saw a revival of God, but he didn't have the heart of God. When it was all said and done, he did a lot of God stuff, but he didn't have the heart of God 
for broken and hurting people. And God wants to shift that today. He wants to fill our love tank up. Amen. And so this is what I want to talk about. If we're going to possess the heart of God for this world, which is, you know, it's, you know there's wickedness. Jesus said wickedness abounds. But we need to get the heart of God. How do we do this? Well, for starters, just a couple of points, ideas I want to bring to us today. Number one, we need to confront the anger in our heart. We all need to confront. Now, I know that this probably doesn't touch a quarter of you, but there's probably somebody in the room that could say, yeah, I do have some anger issues when it comes to the world in which I live. Jonah was an angry prophet. He had some anger issues that affected his attitude, and it drove his behavior. Angry people struggle with truly loving. Proverbs 29 verse 22 says, An angry person stirs up conflict, and a hot-tempered person commits sins. Jonah. Amen. Now, anger, as you guys know, I don't need to talk a lot about this. It's sweeping across our land. We are in a political year. Need I say any more? There's a recent survey that came out that said nine out of ten Americans believe the culture today is less civil and that we lack real genuine kindness toward one another, that it's reached an epidemic level. We live in a world that is very anger-driven. We used to debate. We attack now. We don't talk it out. We attack it out. And we take our stance and we take our positions politically, religiously, socially, ethnically, however you want to look at it, all of these different ways. And now instead of trying to like work things out, we attack it out. And that's just the way we go about it. This is the culture that we live in. We're a deeply divided nation. We're, we're, we're angry about gender issues. We're angry about abortion rights or Choice versus life. We're angry over economic disparity and political agendas, criminal behavior, social and racial discrimination. And there are some things that are very wrong and they need to be dealt with, but they can't, we can't afford to allow these things to harbor or to develop hate in our hearts and anger in our heart for the times that we live in. Amen. Are you with me out there? Looking at Jonah, we can see that Jonah had some, he had an angry heart. And I just want to point out what anger looks like. What an ang- Now, all, not, what I'm going to share with you, maybe one or two of these may touch on you a little bit. Maybe you don't have all of these, but what, what we see in Jonah is his anger manifests. First of all, it manifests in a spirit of resentment. He was bitter over the way that God was handling things. He didn't like the way God was doing it. Here's a revival breaking out in chapter 3, verse 10. And chapter 4, verse 1 says, And Jonah was very displeased about it. People are getting saved. People are coming to God. People are repenting of their sin. And Jonah's angry. And the Hebrew word is uh, raw. And it means it's often translated evil. He, didn't, he wasn't just displeased. He thought it was an evil thing what was happening. 
that these people were spared. And he resented, and he was displeased, and he was angry. And that word angry means literally to burn, or to be hot, or to be furious. Jonah is one hot under the collar prophet. He is not happy about what's going on. And so it says in in the first three verses, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. And verse two says, so he prayed to the Lord and said, ah, Lord, was this not what I said when I was in my country? This is why I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you were gracious and merciful and slow to anger God, abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. God, just kill me. I can't stand this. I resent this, God. Angry people resent people. And Jonah resented what God was doing. He didn't like it. He loved God's loving kindness to him. He just didn't love it for them. Amen. And so he's angry. Because he remembers what the Assyrians have done to his people over the centuries. He remembers how mean and how wrong they were and how they, how they destroyed them as, tried to destroy them as a people. And Jonah harbored that resentment. Resentment is the accumulation of unexpressed anger swept under the rug over and over and over. I feel like this is what happens to me every time I watch the news. I boil, and I suppress it. And I boil, and I suppress it. You know, at some point, the pot's going to burst. Amen. Amen. I got to keep going. I'm running way out of time. I see people getting away with it, and I want them to pay. I want people to pay. Am I talking to anybody in the room? And this feeling gets in us. And we could be doing great things for God. But God's like, boy, do I got to do some things in you. Because as much as I love reaching the masses, I, gotta, I love the one individual. And sometimes we get into this place where Just go get them, God. I'm already taking care of them. He's like, you don't know the half. You're a mess. Amen. Here's another another way anger uh, manifests itself, is in control. Trying to manipulate people, or Jonah was trying to control God. It's interesting. It says in verse 4 and in verse 5, it says, Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? And notice Jonah's response to God's question. God patiently, lovingly says, why are you angry? Is this right for you to be angry? And verse 5 says, so Jonah went out of the city and sat east of the city, on the east side of the city. He didn't even answer God. He's given God the silent treatment, which is what angry people do. You upset me, I ain't talking. Amen. I don't like... I don't like what you did, and so we go silent. And that's what he's doing to God because he resents what God is allowing to happen. He doesn't, he doesn't like the way God is dealing with this. And so in his silence, I think this is that feeble attempt to manipulate the situation 
through its control. We're trying to take control of something that we're angry about. Amen. I know none of you have ever done this. And so, this is what he's doing. We know that we can't control God. But being angry is our way of trying to get control of the situation. And so in anger, we, we hold on to these things, trying to make things happen the way we want them to happen. Some try to give God the silent treatment until he gives in. Good luck with that. He's been around a long time. He knows how to outweigh you. Amen. Here's another way that our anger will manifest, being pessimistic. It's believing for the worst, or it's hoping for the worst, or it's looking for the worst. It's not just wondering if the worst is going to happen, but truly being pessimistic and cynical. In verse 5 it says, So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter, and he sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. Now this probably happened within those 40 days of waiting. You remember he said, in 40 days and the city's going to be over. So after he did this, walking through the city for three days, he went out to the east side of the city, found himself up on like Timber Butte and looked out over the city and just waiting for lightning to strike. They can't see, they can't, they can't truly be authentic in their repentance. These are evil people. These people have no heart of God. I, I, I will believe it if I see it. And that's what anger, that's what, what happens to us when we allow anger to get in our heart. And I want to tell you something. There's a lot of Christians today who are filled with anger over the way things are. And let me tell you something. It's not going to get any better necessarily. So what's got to be dealt with? The way things are or my anger? First of all, it needs to start with me. And then let it filter out. But this is what he was doing. He was up there. He's watching over the city. He, didn't, he, he was hoping and believing for the worst. I hope God will get them, teach them a lesson. I mean, I want them saved, but I really want them to get a lesson. Amen. Here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 and through 7. He says, uh, I think this is up there. Is this up there? That... True love does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. Watch. Thinks no evil. Everybody say that with me. Thinks no evil. In other words, you're not thinking for evil to be poured out. The next verse. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, read this with me, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's love. That's not where Jonah was at. And very often that's not where we're at. Amen. Here's another uh, disposition of anger. It's the feeling of entitlement. We believe we deserve God's blessings, that we've earned God's blessings, that we're entitled. So in verses 6 through 11, I want to read this again. It says, And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it grow up over Jonah, that it might be shade for his head to deliver him. So here's Jonah. He went up on the hill to watch over the city, hoping that it would be destroyed. And while he's seething with anger, 
and displeased and thinking this is an evil thing, God causes a plant to grow up over him to bless him. How do you know God is good? Even when you're not. And so God raised up a plant to shade him from the sun, to, to protect him from his misery. He was a miserable person. God was good to Jonah, even though Jonah was complaining and resentful and hateful and in rebellion. And so Jonah was very grateful for the plant, the Bible says. He was so thankful that God was being so good to him. But then in the morning, when it dawned the next day, God prepared a worm. If you remember in chapter 1, God prepared the whale. Now in chapter 4, God prepared the worm. From the whale to the worm. Amen. And so God prepared a worm, and, it, and that worm damaged the plant so that it withered. And it, and it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind. And the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death upon himself and said, it's better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, yeah, it's right for me to be angry, even to death. I'll die being angry. But the Lord said, now listen to these words. You've had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in the night and perished in the night. And, you should, and, and should I not have pity on Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between the right, and they don't know how to get right. They don't, they're so wicked and they're so lost, they don't know right from wrong. I mean, they, are, they need help. They needed you, Jonah, to go in there with my message. And he says, it's not even the people, the animals. If, if you don't care about the people, what about the animals? Don't you even care about them? Amen. When God was good to Jonah, Jonah was glad. But when God was good to them, he was mad. He felt deserving of God's blessings because he believed God and preached for God and went for God and prayed to God. But these people were godless. They didn't have a heart for God. And he believed that he deserved this. And really what this is is a self-righteous, entitled attitude. Now, we live in an entitlement culture, and all of us Christian conservatives are glad to say it. The entitlement. But I want to say that there is a spiritual entitlement that we need to be on guard of and aware of. Sometimes we walk around feeling like God owes us something because we have sacrificed, because we have done this, or because we have done that. We feel like this is what God owes me. That's a mindset of entitlement. Sometimes when we come to God, we hold out our hands, not to say, here, God, I'll serve you wherever you want. It's here, God, fill them up. God, bless me here. Take care of this. Give me that. That's entitlement. Now, God wants to bless us. I believe that. But that's a sense of entitlement where God is, you know, like your, you know, uh, vending machine type thing. And then the other, the other thing that we manifest entitlement, we think we're above the word of God, that we, we don't have to do it the way God's word says, or we look down on others. This is what Jesus' disciples did. They had, there was a little bit, there was a strain of entitlement among them when they would argue among themselves who was going to be the greatest. You mean, can you imagine arguing with Peter about who's going to be the greatest? I mean, when he brings out, who have you walked on water? 
Okay, I think I settled it. I'm the greatest. Amen. But anger manifests itself in the spirit of entitlement. Here's another thing that we see. Anger, how it manifests itself. It's just being stubborn. Just refusing to change. Twice in this passage, Jonah said something to the effect. Well, let's look at it in verse 3. He said, O Lord, please take my life for me, for it is better for me to die than to live. When he was looking at the revival in Nineveh, he's like, I'd much rather die than to see this great thing of God going on. I just don't like this at all. And then he says down in verse 9, God said to him, is it right for you to be angry? He said, it's right, even unto death. Just kill me, God. He is being stubborn. That's what angry people are. They're stubborn. They're immovable. An angry person, are, they're, they, like Jonah, they would much rather die than to show the love of God. We claim that we can't change, that we're not God. I can't help it. This is the way that I am. Well, thank goodness that we're not God. You should be thankful I'm not God, because I would deal with you. No. Thank goodness that we are not God. But anything God commands of us, we can do by His grace. And if we don't do it, it's because we won't do it, not because we can't do it. And so... We've got to confront the issue of anger in our heart. Like I said, I won't harp on it because I've got to move on. I'm way out of time. But we have to guard against the spirit of anger seeping into our soul where it concerns the wickedness of the world that we live in. And how do we do that? Well, the next thing, and this is where I want to close, we need to cultivate the love of God in our heart. How do we love like God? How do we get to that place? Go back to chapter 4, verse 2. Jonah said to the Lord something that was very true, something that he didn't know for himself. He knew it because it was in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. He knew the scriptures, so he's actually quoting from God's revelation to Moses. And he says, I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, that you are slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and one who relents from doing harm. Jonah knew the revelation of God, how God revealed himself and the revelation of God's love, but he struggled to embrace God's love for himself. And listen, if you can't receive God's love, you can't give God's love. And the only way, the only way that we can truly cultivate the love of God is not by osmosis. The only way that you can cultivate the love of God is to imitate the love of God, period. You just do what God did. You just love like God loves. How did Paul say it in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2? He says, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love. There it is. Imitate God. What's my role? How do I love people? Imitate God. Look at how God loves people. Look at how God loved Nineveh. How do I love those people that are they're really getting on my last nerve? You imitate God. Well, I, uh, I just don't, I, I don't know if I can. You can because he said you can. And, he, and you can because he said you must. Come on now. So he said, imitate God. Where am I? 
Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So we got to lay aside our anger and take up God's agape love. How do we do this? Well, what verse 2 says, very simple. It's these things. Be gracious. Be a gracious person. What is grace? It's showing kindness and favor to people who don't deserve it. That's grace. You know of somebody in your life that's on your last nerve? What do you do? You show them favor. You show them kindness. You give them what they haven't earned. And we live in a world which says, I'll meet you halfway. But Jesus said, Really, what I'm calling for you is not to meet people halfway, but if they say go a mile with me, you go too. The cross wasn't a halfway mark. The cross is the finish line. God didn't say, coming to the cross, I'll meet you halfway. He came all the way for us. And that's what grace is. We love celebrating with the juice and the bread, the grace of God for us. And we eat it and we're so thankful. He says, now turn it around. That's what you do for others. Amen. Be gracious. Be merciful. This is another thing. This is, this is imitating God's love, being gracious, being merciful. Grace is when God gives us what we don't deserve. Mercy is when we don't give what they do deserve. Like, you deserve a good pounding. And I'm going to hold back. The word uh, mercy here denotes the idea of compassion. Compassion seats really tries to alleviate the suffering is what it is. Psalms 145, verses 8 and 9. Notice this. It says, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and great in mercy. Amen, church? You've, you've experienced that yourself, have you? Watch this, verse 9. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. God is merciful over all his works on the earth. And he says, that's what I'm calling you to. You be merciful to all my works like I'm merciful to all my works. Amen. We need to be long-suffering. This is another attribute of God's love if you want to come, Katie. We need to be long-suffering, which is that phrase, slow to anger. Can I tell you, and Daniel shared this in, a, in our staff meeting the other day, talk, something along these lines, how, you know, God gives people lots of time to change. <laughs> He's really slow to becoming angry. You know what that means? You have to be slow too. You have to put up with a lot. You got to wait it out. You got to be slow to becoming angry, which means you got to, suffer a long time. Amen. And that's God's kind of love. Long-suffering is the patience of the Holy Spirit in us, not giving up on people, but letting people go through what they're going to go through and be what they're going to be, and all the while, not sitting on the hill waiting for destruction, but hoping for deliverance, looking for Life. Amen. 
Then he says, be kind. He says that God is abundant in loving kindness. David said to God, your loving kindness is better than life. The word of kindness here, loving kindness, denotes a tender affection and, and a genuine care for others. It's being kind when people are unkind. It's doing good to those who may not like you. And they don't like your faith, and they don't like your way, and they don't like your truth, and they don't like your gospel. But you're kind. And kindness doesn't mean we alter the message or we edit the message of God. We live in a culture right now that says, if you don't agree with me, you hate me. And of course, our response to that isn't, listen, I, by the word of God, am not allowed to hate anybody. But by that same word of God, I'm not allowed to agree with everything. But if I don't agree with you, doesn't mean I hate you. And so I've got to find a way to be kind to those who misunderstand the heart of God. And that, that takes work and that takes the Holy Spirit because that's a fruit of the Spirit. He's got, to, he's got to show us how to grow that fruit in the middle of that situation, in the middle of that relationship. This is the love of God. And then obviously, I want to end with be forgiving. God's love is a forgiving love. He relented. The scripture says he relented from doing harm. He saw their repentance and he forgave their sin. Jesus walked around this world ministering to people and he said, do it like I did it. He said, these things you see me do, I want you to do. How did he do it? He would confront people in their sin, love them in their sin, say things like them, neither do I condemn you. I'm not here to condemn you. He did say, go and sin no more. He, he, you know, he dealt with the issue, but he was like, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to forgive you. And so church, if we're going to manifest, if we're going to have the heart of God for the, this wicked world that we live in, we've got to confront the anger issues in us and then cultivate the love of God in us. Amen.